Welcome to Calvary. My name is Dahlia and I'm the director of women's ministry here. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God and connect into our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. So feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. So if you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we would love to encourage you to talk to one of our volunteers or staff after the service. I'm so glad you could join us today. Where does it come from? You know, you'll see companies using the word to promote their brand, promoting their product, promoting their work environment. It can be attractive when somebody else has it and intimidating. Seeing confidence in someone else can actually cause us to self-depreciate our own abilities. And if you do a Google search, you'll come up with all kinds of variations as to why this is. And much of, there's a lot out there on how to build confidence within us. Confidence seems to be the opposite of insecurity and inadequacy. But what I find in our humanness and knowing our own weaknesses and our mistakes is that confidence can be so fleeting. We can have it one day and then it's gone the next. You know, much of the leading thought and the writing out there um, on psychology is that it comes, confidence comes from within. And I know that some of it does. As children growing up, we can confidently learn to tie our own shoes or learn to open doors as my two-year-old granddaughter is now doing. Eventually, we learn to drive. We can go off to school and learn a profession. We can learn a trade by hands-on experience. We can take risks that move us outside of our comfort zone by trying something new. And perhaps this is what you did by leaving your country and moving to Canada. All these ways and more can build confidence within us. But is it, is the source of confidence always found within? You know, if I assume that this isn't the first time you thought about these things, can I also assume that perhaps you've been looking for a source of confidence that is more constant, more dependable than self-confidence? I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. 
Some of us here have been walking with God for many, many years, and others of us are brand new on our journey, and we're just trying to figure some, some of these things out. And the rest of us, well, we're someplace in between here. But what about confidence when dealing with difficult people in our life? It could be a spouse, family member. It could be a boss or a coworker, a teacher or a student. What about those who believe differently than we do politically and some of the hot buttons of our culture? You know, I don't think it matters who we are, how old we are, what place we find ourselves in life. All of us will face difficult people at some point, even in the church of all places. As much as I haven't liked it, and I've tried to avoid it, for years, conflict is unavoidable. It is inevitable. I'm not sure we will ever be able to get along with everyone around us in life. Sometimes our personalities just simply rub somebody else the wrong way. Sometimes people don't like what we're about or what we stand for or what we're trying to accomplish. Our priorities and our mission is different. In fact, it may be a direct contrast or con direct competition to somebody else's mission and what they're trying to accomplish, their priorities. This is the case for Nehemiah. If you are just joining us, we are in the midst of a series studying the historical events of the Jewish people's third migration back to Jerusalem in Judea from Babylon and Susa of the, uh, of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah, who was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, has gained not only the permission of the king to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild its walls, but he's also provided military escort. Uh, protection and the resources to finish, to, to rebuild the, the gates of, of Jerusalem. And with the walls being several kilometers in circumference and some places up to nine feet thick, I can't even imagine some, a wall that thick. This is an enormous construction project. And when King Nebuchadnezzar uh, destroyed these walls some 150 years earlier. He just left the rubble and the debris strewn about. And the people living there were living in poverty and continually harassed by their, their enemies surrounding Jerusalem. Talking about losing a sense of confidence. Nehemiah, now governor over Jerusalem and, and the, the regions surrounding it, the communities there, he names some of these enemies as Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, rulers of neighboring territories. And these men are dead set against the Jewish people ever restoring a sense of dignity and protection, as well as their confidence. They don't want to see anything grow like this. They are incensed that Nehemiah would lead a group uh, back here to Jerusalem, organize the locals, and then seek to re not only build, rebuild the walls, but to restore community that honors God. So now here in chapter 4, the work has begun. Not only the work, but the trouble. They are facing some fierce opposition. How do they respond? Do they continue to build or do they just capitulate under the pressure? What happens to their confidence? 
What happens to our confidence when we face some significant times like this? Will the source of their confidence, source of our confidence, be dependable when it feels like everybody else is against us? And what may that confidence look like for us? Well, before we begin our text, if you want to pull out your notes, uh, we will be following along these here for the rest of the message. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is alive and active. And this text was written some 2,500 years ago, and yet it is alive. It, is, it, it can pierce to the very core of who we are, dividing, dividing our spirit and soul, helping us understand things about ourselves that we need to, helping us understand how to live this life best the way you've designed it and how we get to know you and walk with you. And as we look at it today where confidence actually comes from. So God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you manifest your presence? Would you speak to each one of us now as we look at it and consider it? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. Sanballat was very angry that he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He grew, he flew into a rage mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, that's the territory to the north, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And then Tobiah from uh, the Amorite. Now, I believe he was to the west, He was standing beside him, and he remarks, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox uh, walked along the top of it. Sounds like junior high all over again. (laughs) When mocked or ridiculed, how do we respond? And this isn't talking about those fun little jabs from a friend taking a shot at us. Not sure if you have experienced mean-spirited ridicule But we could be talking about those passive-aggressive shots that people take at us. On the surface, they may seem done in fun. But under the surface, they have barbs that leave us feeling not very good. How have you responded? Are you quick-witted and have some sarcastic, sassy reply? Do you turn nasty? and take a strip off them? Do you internalize these things and and silently seethe under the surface of your heart and your life? Do you walk away and just judge them or belittle them in your own heart for their comment? Do we allow comments like this to shoot holes in our confidence? You know, it's true that sometimes our emotions get the best of us and we respond and some unhealthy, not very helpful way. I sure have. Or do we take our offense and turn to God? You see, here's what, here's what Nehemiah did, verse four. He says, then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land which is what they were. Do not ignore their guilt. 
Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Now, you'll notice some requests in this prayer that because we have Jesus and his teaching in the New Testament, that we would pray differently today. Jesus says that we are to pray for our enemies. We are to bless and not curse. We are to do good to those who persecute us, those who seek to harm us, and we are to love our enemies. But notice, notice that Nehemiah could have taken those insults personally, and he could have felt ashamed or belittled. He could have second-guessed himself, defended himself, given some sarcastic or cutting shot back. Instead of allowing himself to lash out and to recoil or recoil in self-pity, he realizes they're actually taking a shot at God because it is God who called them to do this. And so it's like he takes their mockery and he reflects it to God and say, well, well God, this is really about you. This isn't about us. It's not about me. And so... It's like he says to God, well, you deal with them. What are you going to do about this? Because they are mocking you. It's a great response to malicious mockery and ridicule. What if our first response was to go to God? I could tell you about times that I haven't responded well. And I could tell you times where I've just walked away feeling the sting of that comment, and then go to God, laying that pain before him, choosing to forgive them, and then determining in my heart to go and talk with them to see where our relationship is at because I want to know if, if there's any truth to that mockery. You know, again, as we looked at false accusations last week from chapter 6, sometimes it's best not to engage their mockery. In fact, can I say it's almost always best to just walk away. Very rarely, God will have us respond and to defend our, ourselves, although I know that he, he does that at times. You see, sometimes the mockery or the ridicule is intended to goat us. It's intended to provoke us into a confrontation that really is not going to go anywhere good. So if we can swallow our pride and perhaps the feeling of being belittled, being embarrassed, and go to God with the hurt that we feel inside, God can grow the confidence that we need deep inside to walk with our head held high. The confidence to keep going in the direction that we feel God, we believe that God is leading us without being detoured by some of the trouble that we face. And this is exactly what happens here for Nehemiah and all these people who are working hard to accomplish this mission. The exact opposite of what Sanballat and Tobiah intended happened because they went to God. Verse 6, at last the wall was completed to half its height, height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. You see, enthusiasm comes when there is confidence at the core of who we are, that we are on mission with God, like Nehemiah and these people. 
Let's look at another kind of trouble that we can face. What about when tempted to allow discord to affect our relationships and get us off our game? Verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They, made, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. You know, one scholar has described that Hebrew word there for confusion at the end of verse 8 as stirring up trouble or chaos, kind of like creating a, uh, a riot. It's like getting people all worked up into a frenzy about something, but nobody really stops to consider what's going on. Or perhaps it, they don't even know what they're all worked up about. This often happens when we fight about non-essential issues, even here within the church. We may or may not like, have enemies like Sanballat and Tobiah, who are actually seeking our life, but we do have Satan. He is the arch enemy of God, and anybody who follows Jesus Christ, who is seeking to disrupt what God is seeking to do in us, what he's seeking to do through us to the people around us and amongst us. He loves to create chaos and disunity. His intention is to divide and conquer people, to disrupt the harmony, to steal the joy, and to destroy relationships. And some of the ways that we can participate with the enemy in these things, it's through gossip. It's through slander. It's through casting shade over someone else's character. Instead of falling into some of these traps, can I encourage us to pray and seek unity? This is what Nehemiah led the people to do. Verse 9, he says, but we prayed. Jesus teaches us to ask God that we not fall into temptation. The Apostle Paul teaches us to do everything we can within our power to maintain the unity of the Spirit, allowing peace to bind us together. You see, seeking peace and not chaos in our relationships will honor God. Pursuing unity instead of allowing our disagreements to create strife honors God. If you are new to church, or perhaps for many years have observed the church from the outside, perhaps you have seen how division and disunity make such a mess of churches. And if I'm honest with you, I'm embarrassed by that. How quickly we allow our differences to create wedges between us. The people working on this massive construction project decided not to allow division, not to allow confusion to rule the day. And by doing it, they protected their unity and it enabled them to not get distracted by the enemy's schemes. I'm encouraging us to be just as vigilant. Thirdly, we see confidence in what God has called them to do and his faithfulness to accomplish his mission when threatened. Now, in this case, they both pray and protect. Verse 9, but we prayed to our God 
and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So I placed guard, armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all turned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is, is very spread out. And we are largely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Then our God will fight for us. And we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. And half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. You know, in this case, the phrase pray like it depends, all depends upon God and work like it all depends upon us really fits well. Like we looked at last week, again with false accusations, there are times it's best to do nothing but allow God to fight for us. And there are times that we need to accept responsibility and do the tangible things, the things that we can do. For instance, take finance. If we've gotten ourselves in over our head with consumer debt and we're feeling overwhelmed, we can pray that God will help us out. We need to pray that God will help us out of that situation. But if we don't discipline ourselves and instead just continue to spend beyond our, main, our means, can we really expect God to just miraculously make all our credit card debt go away? I don't think so. Take relationships. We can pray for reconciliation, but it, have we done our part to apologize or to forgive, to seek healing for that button that they pushed within us? What about our health? We can believe God for natural healing, which is what he certainly does. But do we need to change our eating habits? Do we need to do something about exercise? Do we need to lower our stress? You know, this is where being involved in small group can be really crucial. The Israelites worked together. They fought their battles together. Small group community can provide a safe and encouraging place for us to grow in some of these things. These people, they trusted God while doing everything they could to take responsibility for their own protection.
Number four, when discouraged or overwhelmed. Verse 10, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again that they will come from all directions and they will attack us. Imagine for a minute what it would be like to be these Israelites. I think I'd be overwhelmed as well. You know, I love that the Bible is real. It doesn't gloss over our mistakes, our bad attitudes, the times where we, we face these kinds of realities in life. Their enthusiasm is waning. Their drive is almost gone. They're exhausted from this heavy labor, and they are demoralized by fear. It's the picture of someone so tired they can hardly take another step. Ever feel that way? I sure have been there. I think we just need to understand that this is normal. You know, there are times to work and there's times to rest. God knows our needs. Brain science shows the devastating effects of relentless cortisol, which is our stress hormone in our system. God created it for our good to handle times of increased pressure from life's demands. But if there is not a rhythm of rest where cortisol is flushed from our body and serotonin, our feel-good hormone, is released into our system, there can be long-term consequences in the form of sickness, disease, and all kinds of ailments. So discouragement and feeling overwhelmed can simply be understandable. But I like how the Bible talks about King David at a time when he had lost everything, including his family, his children, and all his possessions. And his entire army had lost their wives and children as well because their town was ransacked while they were away. David is utterly exhausted. He is completely discouraged. And his entire army of men are so angry at him that they're about to stone him. And if you read the history around these events, in 1 Samuel it says, this is not on PowerPoint, it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Number five, when faced with sacrifice, lead the way. Verse 23, during this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took our clothes off. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. When there is an opportunity in the midst of facing whatever trouble, whatever conflict, whatever hardship is in front of us, confidence in God enables us to lead the way, to be the first ones to sacrifice. And quite frankly, I don't like sacrifice. It's not very much fun. I don't think any of us do like it. But if we view sacrifice for God, for his kingdom, and for the people, his people, as an investment, like Jesus' suffering and his death was an investment into our life, then that sacrifice can come with great reward. 
If you read the first six chapters together of Nehemiah's account, you get the feeling that these people hardly had a day without some kind of significant challenge, without opposition, without conflict amongst themselves, but they stick to it. They don't allow their differences and their taunts of the enemies, the struggles between them that we're going to be looking at in chapter 5 here in just a few weeks, to take their eye off the mission that God has given them. And they accomplish it. They accomplish their mission. Look at this, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 to 16. So on October 2, the wall was completed just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Do you see the reward? Yeah. They not only finished the wall in an unbelievably short amount of time, but the people who stood against them all the way through were the ones in the end frightened and humiliated because they realized that God was in this, that it was God who helped them do this. So if you're looking for a constant and a dependable source of confidence, the Bible would say, and this has certainly been true of my experience, that God is that source. God is invincible. Do you notice how Nehemiah kept God at the center of their mission? Verse 14. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that, that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them. Verse 20, then our God will fight for us. Confidence comes through our trust and our connection with God. This is not self-confidence. It is confidence in the God who is greater than any challenge, greater than any opposition from the enemy, any false accusation, any attempt to control or to manipulate us. God is greater. And it's his heart to restore our confidence, not in ourselves, but in his power and in his provision, in his protection. And if we find ourselves overwhelmed, discouraged, beaten down, or perhaps confused, not sure which way to go, maybe hopeless, because the future just seems so bleak, maybe inadequate, not sure we have what it takes, or insecure, because we know of our own brokenness and our own failure. It is God, through Jesus Christ, that we can find confidence and strength once again. Do you know him? If not, are you ready to reach out to him? Start a relationship with him, a trusting relationship with him. If you are here today or you're listening online and you have never come to God for his help, and his strength, I'd like, you, I'd like to lead you. Maybe you're ready right now into what this can look like. If you pull out your sermon notes, on the back of the sermon notes, 
just simply helps us walk through some of these things. And I just, I want to take just a few moments to, to read through this so that, so that we know. And if you want to make this decision right now, you're welcome to do this, or maybe this is something where you'll do maybe later today in the quietness of your own heart. But the first thing we need to do is that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to God and that you need him to lead your life. Jesus says there in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then secondly, we need to be willing to turn from the things that God would not approve of. This is called sin. The things that God wouldn't approve of as outlined in the Bible. And instead, decide to live according to his word. To honor Jesus Christ by how you live your life. The big word for this is repentance. And you can see that there in 1 John. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that defilement, that yuck that's, that we feel in our life because of our mistakes, our poor choices. Number three, we believe that Jesus Christ died, you need, that he died for you on the cross and he rose from the grave and we accept his payment of sin on our behalf because that's why he came. He loved the world so much that God gave his only son. And then number four, through prayer, you know, you can invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and expect to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he is God and he comes and lives inside of us and will give us the power to live God's way in this life. So there's a prayer here. Again, if, if you're ready right now, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'm just, I'm gonna pray it out loud. You can pray this in the quietness of your own heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and I trust in you alone for my salvation. I choose to turn away from the things in my life of which you don't approve and now surrender my life to you. I invite you to come and reign and rule in my heart and life and open my spirit. Establish your presence within me and please bring me your peace. I want to know the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and live forever with you in the kingdom of God. I choose to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer right now with me, can I encourage you to tell somebody? Maybe tell somebody that you came with today. Maybe come up after the service and tell one of us here. We'd just love to walk with you as we seek to walk with God together. For all of us, confidence in God and trusting in Him to take care of us is the best way to face any kind of trouble, any kind of conflict, or any affliction that we face. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful that you are true to your word and that the confidence you gave Nehemiah and that whole community of Israelites 
is the same. You are the same God, and you can give that same confidence to us. For all of us here, God, I pray that you would show us where we are more dependent upon ourselves. We're looking for that self-confidence inside, which I know in a sense is not a bad thing. You created that, but that's not constant. That's not dependable when life starts to really get rough. And so I pray that you would teach us. Would you help us? Would you remind us? And for some of us, I don't know where our week has led us. I don't know the things that we're looking forward to this coming week. And our knees start to get feeble. Our knees start to get weak. God, may we choose now in our own heart to go your way, to trust you. And as we do, would you come and fill us? Those of us who follow Jesus Christ, would you come and fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing us from the inside out and giving us confidence once again to walk with you through everything we face. I bless us as a church community as we pursue you to restore us and to restore the people around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.